Welcome to our weekly, I mean weekly Wednesday night share, the Nishmas, Nachman Yaakov, Mitzvah Hirsh, Allah Shalom, and Batsheva Chana, Allah Shalom, Bas, Havdul, Avram, Ayyusam, Vishanam, Yabad Al Haim. A little horse today, sorry. Baruch Hashem, holy good things. Um, we have Pashat Baal Yitzchak, which is, as we know, as we know, is the Parsha that continues the Kriya of Hanukkah, the complete Kriya of Hanukkah, and the reason. That it's read within the Hanukkah Kriya is because since the Nesim, as the first Rashi say, states, since the Nesim all brought Karbanis, the Shevet Levi not being represented, so therefore in order to represent Shevet Levi, he's done the Aveda that Shevet Levi was able to do, was able to give their participation which was the Meneda being lit by Arna Kayin. We know, of course, the opening Pasuk, Valeshka Saneda Samupinea Meneda, that Aaron, the great merit that Aaron had, that he was consistent. The name of the game, consistency, which is something that lacks by many, many people, but it's also the name of the game that ultimately keeps things going, keeps people going, keeps people happening, and it's the the root to all good, it's consistency. It's the root to all good in chinuch, in education, an educator needs to be consistent, what they say, this is how it has to be, and this is how, where it has to go. Um, consistency parenting parents need to be consistent if parents are not consistent and either they're not consistent among themselves or if they're not consistent each one is not consistent on their own (coughs) this tends to raise a problem in its own right as well Sorry. And therefore, one of the greatnesses of Ma'arna Kay was his consistency, which he lit the Meneda with the same fervor, the same excitement, the same life as he did the first time, he lit every other time as well. And this is something that is a phenomenon, obviously. Because what percentage of people can possibly do such a thing? No. You do something once, you do it with great fervor, with great excitement, it's fantastic. But then, the second time you do it, the third time you do it, eventually, it doesn't get necessarily monotonous, monotonous, but it does tend to, the rep- repetitiveness 
tends to wear off the novelty. But Aranakain didn't have that problem. Aranakain, therefore, was able to keep going with everything that he did, lighting the Meneda on a daily basis, and every day he did it with the same excitement, the same fervor, as if it was the first time he was lighting the Meneda. And therefore the focus on the parasha is the concept of the lighting of the Meneda. What does the Meneda do for us? What does it have to do with us? We have the story of Eldad and Medad as well in the parasha. We have the story of Miriam, Hanavia, with her little conversation with her brother Aaron about Mesha, or rather about her sister-in-law, Tzpora. Let us begin our focus because we spoke, we asked Cain Aaron, Basic says that Ma'aran was told to do, to light the Meneda on a daily basis. And a phenomenon, says the Tera. Vayas came Aaron, and Aaron did it. Huh. <laughs> Why would he not do it? Oh. So Rashi says, Vayas came Aaron. This is chapter 8, verse 3. Peri Ches, Basic Gimel. Rashi says, Vayas came Aaron, the Hagid Shvachish, the Aaron Shleshina. It tells us the shvach, the praise of Aaron. He didn't change. He didn't alter anything. This is the kutatir written by the Arizal. Aaron had many different commandments that he was told to do. Really, he was many different mitzvahs, services, whoops, that he was given to do. Your favorite. I don't know how this is going to work out. Let's see. It's right there, the bottom of the shelf, next to the washroom. Okay. Why, therefore, thank you, is it necessary here to teach us that Aaron didn't alter? what he was commanded that Aaron was consistent there must have been some kind of change over here Moshe says meaning to say that in the beginning before, right in the beginning of the lighting there should be the seven candles Immediately upon lighting them, they should all be mulpanamaneda. When Aaron does it, though, it says, They went up. After the flame went up, is when Aaron finally stepped away. So he does change from what Mesh told him. 
because the Ha'iru only took place once the flame was in place. So therefore, the Tehidah tells us, the Rash tells us, no, Leishina. He does not change. He does not alter Taker. I, we see, according to what it says, it looks like he did. When he did the Meneda, when he set up the Meneda, it was Mul Meneda. Facing the fight, the Meneda. Immediately upon lighting, the beginning of the lighting, the Pusik adds afterwards and says, even after the flame was already in full stead, he still did the same. So it was an addition, a praise, additional praise to Aaron, how he stayed on and rode the wave together with the flame. He didn't just light it and go away. We need to take a lesson, a life lesson from Aaron Akayim. When a person stands in the beginning of his service to God, you start the Dhamma Shemineser, you start the you have a, a flame, you have something going for you. You're at the level of El Mulpanamanera. You're doing it because this is what God wants you to do. You have in mind that you're doing this for the Kavana of the Mitzvah, the Shem Mitzvah. Once you start to rise up, you start to become a mensch. It's about to become something. And you mislive in Aveda about Slavas Gedeva. When the love starts to go up. Then you start to contemplate. And you start to think and rethink and outthink yourself. What actually, where actually, how actually. How can I channel my greatness? And has shown me even come to sinning with that. And not only you come to sinning with that, but you might even think this is Takwa Hashem wants. This this Islavas that I'm having, this great intentions that I'm having, this is what Hashem wants, Taka. I'm doing the right thing. You convince yourself even. So therefore, the tale is telling us that you need to be careful even when the love is already going up, even when the flame is already flying, is risen already, and you're into, and you now see that you're in control of your mitzvah, you don't say to yourself, now I'm on my own. Now you need Ersh Kabbalah sale. Now is when you need to focus on your Anivas. Then you need to have, at that point, El Mulpinah This is the praiseworthiness of Ma'avar Nakein. He gave over with great love to Nisham Yisrael. Even when he saw Eila Alav, which means he devoted himself to the Jew. And he saw the Jew was really on his own. He was doing his own thing. So at this point in time, you can say, okay, like the daddy teaching the child how to ride the bicycle. You hold on, you hold on until you see the child's got it. 
You leave going, you let the child write on his own. Now he's writing his own. He's on his own steam. But Aaron didn't do that way. Aaron involved himself with the Jews, one by one, each individual. Excuse me, as they rose and as they became greater and better, he stayed with them and he helped them and he gave them their cause. He gave them a purpose in life and a reason to continue and a reason to live. So this was the greatness indeed of Arnakayim. That he was able to do and to devote himself in such a way. Parsha gives us a little more than just the Mineta and the lighting of the Mineta. We mentioned before a little conversation a conversation that took place between Miriam and and Aaron and the conversation had no other, nothing else more important to talk about than Sepera and what is the conversation about Sepera Al Edis Aisha Hakushis Hashalakach Pasuk chapter 12 verse 1 Perikid Beis Pasuk Aleph Apparently, Tzipira was dark-skinned. The Shalak Kodesh tells us the concept of Isha Kushes Shalakach, Shalakach Mesha, this is a reference to Talmud Bavli. Because Talmud Bavli, the idea, the goal of Talmud Bavli is Machshakim Heshivani. In the darkness, in the depths of darkness, you have returned me. What is this talking about? What is the Shalah Kaddish referring to? We know the explanation. What's Talmud Bavli called Mashakim Shivani? Because Talmud Bavli has many different questions. Questions, papulim, stiras, etc. Talmud Yerushalmi, in essence, is Psakalochis. Talmud Bavli, though, has the concept of what's called Shaklevetariya. The idea of Shaklevetaria is presented only in Talmud Bavli, not in Talmud Yerushalmi. Talmud Yerushalmi is basically the bare facts. Mitla Rebbe in Shari'ira explains, and he says, this is how we know now
that it's known, excuse me, that Eretz Yisrael, they learned Halachas Psukis. They didn't go deep into it, they learned the actual Halacha. They didn't delve into it. Halacha is X, Y, and Z. And this is how they kept it. Sometimes, there were people who came and they said, why? They wanted to know, Pachimu. Why did this halacha, the way you just said it? When these people came through, it needed to be explained. That was Talmud Yerushalmi. Talmud Babli, on the other hand, didn't work like that. All the Talmudim used a thumb, a pill questions, answers, Shaklavitaria. In the end, most of the time, they came up with a psakalocha. There are times it comes up with teiku. We don't have an answer. Therefore, it's called Machshakim Mishvani. This is Talmud Bavli. What's Machshakim? The main thing of Pilpul. Not that the halacha comes up on the first blink. Not carte blanche. This is the halacha. It has everything as a, as a question to it. A question, a follow-up. And therefore, it goes into the level of cheshech. When a person is in the dark, they don't see the true story. So as long as they're being mafalpon, they're not coming straight directly to the point, they're in the dark. They're in Helen. The more the question, the darker it gets. And this is what it says on Mesha. Isha kushis lakach. The pilpulim of Tera were given through Meshach Rabbeinu. If you keep me score at home, it's Mimara the Dharam Lamed Chesem and Aleph. 38, side 1. This is Isha Kushis. Because the Pilpulim cause darkness. And therefore Isha Kushis makes reference to Talmud Babli. Speaking of darkness, I believe I told these stories before, but they have a lot of value to them, and the stories with value need to be repeated. One such story, there was a chassidish yid in Brazil, not all about chassid, and this couple came to him, and they told him that Rahman al-Atzlan, their daughter, was looking to marry a guy. Now I want to tell you that in South American countries it's more apt to happen. It's not baloney. It happens everywhere. 
This girl didn't come from a Frum family. They were basically traditional. Light, traditional light. And um, it wasn't a real shock that the girl didn't have the tremendous yearning to marry an Isa Shibabacha. The Ba'ayim, and they came to this man, to the Shkhrishid, and said, help us out. Okay. Calls up the girl, makes an appointment, and goes to see her. And miracles, she wanted to see him, she was ready to see him. She knew of him from the family. They have met before. There was some kind of contact, connection there. Alright, come. The rabbi goes over. Spends three hours with the girl. Three hours. Appealing to her faith appealing to her this, appealing to that what are you doing to your parents what are you doing to the family, what are you doing to this no matter what argument he threw at her he never was not succeeding so much so after three hours she told him thank you very much for coming Eduardo and I already have a wedding date we're going to be getting married. He walked out, Nebuch, Avapachter. He came back to his office and he called the parents to give them the uh, news of the abysmal failure. Needless to say, this bothered him, this aided him for a while. After a few days, he says, you know what? He says to himself, myself, one of the people, one of the Sadiqim, instrumental in getting me to come down to Brazil to begin with, was the Baba Chirebbe. Let me call him for a bracha. I'll call him for a bracha. Maybe, maybe. He calls up Rabbi Chadikov and answers the phone. He tells Rabbi Chadikov the whole story. Tell the Rebbe, this is Shvart, whatever his name was, from Brazil. The Rebbe will know who I am because the Rebbe sent me here basically. And we need a Yeshua. Chadikov said, wait on the line. He waited on the line. Very short while after, Rabbi Chadikov came back to the phone. And he said, tell her she should know that by her, her marrying, wanting to marry this non-Jewish boy, 
the rabbi in New York was not sleeping at night. So she should please change her mind. <laughs> then he says, Rabbi Chazakov, uh, excuse me, but uh, who's not sleeping at night? Because of his girl. And then he hears a voice on the other line. Tell her, me, Mendel Schneerson. I shall know who I am. She knows, she, we've met already. Well, hang up the phone. Now I'm going to I'll call you back. Okay? Mendelssohn. All right. Was tut mir jetzt? Hangs with the phone. And a few minutes later, phone rings. Don't let grass grow on your feet. Don't dawdle. Everyone wants to take it serious and quick. Oh boy. Now he realized the severity of the issue here. Calls up, tells the girl, I want to meet you again. Give me a short meeting. In the parents' house. Come to the parents' house. And he tells the girl, I have a message for you. Which is, because you're marrying, you want to marry Eduardo, there's a rabbi in Brooklyn who's not sleeping at night. She says, this is what you called me here for? She says, Rabbi, I had some respect for you a little bit as a rabbi. You're the only rabbi I ever knew. Um, I gave you three hours yesterday. You sold whatever you could. You gave me your whole pitch. Excuse me. It didn't go. It didn't work. I took off of work today because you said it was urgent and you needed to meet with me. And I came. I respected that. For you to make fun of me? What do you think this is here? Rabbi, get real. The rabbi says to her, you know who the rabbi is. She says, listen, Rabbi, you better stop it. Quit while you're ahead. If you contact me one more time, I'll get, I'm going to call it, please. He says, wait a minute. And they start rummaging around the house, and they find that there's a uh, magazine, a Jewish magazine of some sort, with a picture of the Rebbe. He, says, he has no choice. He has to get... <laughs> the Rebbe told him this is what he has to do. And he shows her the picture of the Rebbe. And she says, leave me alone already with your stupidities. And then she stops a second and she looks at the picture again. She says, wait a minute. Who is this? 
This is Lubavitcher Rebbe in Brooklyn, New York. She says, he's not lying. He's not sleeping at night. <coughs> he comes to me every night in my dream and talks to me and talks to me and talks to me about, about not marrying Eduardo. So when he says he's not sleeping at night, he really means it. And the meeting ended. A short while went by and the wedding got postponed. And a short while after that, the wedding was totally called off. Hence, the not sleeping at night of the rabbi in Brooklyn, New York, because of the concern of a Jewish girl that wanted to marry a non-Jew was so severe <coughs> that the Rebbe did not let up until that love, until that flame had totally risen. We have another point in this week's parsha. Miriam, yeah, the point of the flame. We have two major, actually, points in this parsha. One is that the Vayibin Seya Orain, which is reference to which according to Mepharshim is a chumash for itself is a chumash for itself prior to that though we have a story of another magnitude Several Jews, excuse me, the Jewish nation is told to bring the Karim Pesach. 14th day, month of Nisan, to bring the Karim Pesach. However, in order to bring it, one had to be clean, one had to be pure. One of the impurities that a person could become impure and not be able to bring a Karim. If they're impure, because they came in contact with a dead body. There were several people, according to two different opinions, that were Tamil and Nefesh. Some say were the people carrying the bones of Joseph, and some say were the people that needed to take out the sons of Aaron out of the Holy of Holies when they died in the Holy of Holies.
tells us the Teda that these people came to complain and to cry out, Lomani Gora. Why are we any worse, any less? than the rest of the Jewish nation. Now, the truth is that this Pasha Baalitzcha that the Tate is talking about here when the Karim Pesach was brought in the desert took place way back in the month of Nisan. A month earlier than I related in the nine parakim in the beginning of Chumash B'midbar. Elamai. Why is this not mentioned in the beginning of the Chumash? Ein muktum When it comes to Teda, we don't have this chronological sequence. Things I mentioned earlier, things I mentioned later. What's mentioned here, though, is a concept of shame for the Jewish nation. I actually spoke about this last night by Shav Brachus. But it's a very, very potent message. Even more so, it's a life message for everyone. What is the shame that took place here? It was a shame for the Jewish nation. Forty years they were in the desert, and the carbon Pesach was only brought once. One time it was brought as they were leaving Egypt, and the following time, the following year, first year leaving the desert, leaving Egypt, that they, they, they again brought the carbon Pesach. No. The question is, what is the shame involved here really? Let us look at what, when the Tater talks about bringing the carbon Pesach, the actual commandment of bringing the Karim Pesach, it says, back in Shemais, chapter 12, verse 25, and it says, when you come into the land of God, that God shall give you, you'll bring the Karim Pesach. So this mitzvah was made, was contingent upon entry into that Israel. In the desert, in the Midbar, they were only obligated to offer the Karim Pesach once. In that second year. And it was at that point an explicit divine mandate. And if God had not commanded them to do so, any more than that one time, what's the shame of them not doing it the rest of the time?
the truth is, or the explanation is, Pesach, Karim Pesach, was unlike the other mitzvahs, that their obligation was exclusive to the land of Israel. How so? Yeah, it was offered only once in the desert. Yeah, it was an explicit explicit divine mandate. But it, since it was given as a commandment in the desert just that one more time, it shows that it was not contingent on the arrival of Israel. And the few individuals that come forth and they say, Lama and brought about the Mitzvah of Pesach Sheini, which is almost a replacement holiday for the first one, for those who didn't do the, couldn't do the first. So we see that therefore it is an actual able capability, it's actually possible to bring it in the desert. So this is where the shame of the people where they lacked bringing the Karim Pesach in the desert. If God accepted a handful of people's pleas when they could not bring it that first time and gave them Karim, gave them Pesach Sheni, then obviously the Karim Pesach could be brought in the desert. If it was if it had a if it was capable of being brought in the desert. Why for 39 years did they lack, did they not come require, not come requesting it? And this was therefore the shame of the Jews, and this is therefore why this Karbim Pesach, this Karbash Bahaleska, is only mentioned here and not in the beginning of the Chumash to hide the shame of the Jews. The mitzvah of Pesach Sheni itself, the second opportunity to offer the Karim Pesach, is almost borderline as an, anom- an anomaly among mitzvahs of the Teda. All mitzvahs are characterized by obedience. Hashem instructs and we do it. Karbim Pesach, 